Hey, Bible, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Y'all podcast for Tuesday, January 2nd. Happy 55 mile an hour speed limit day, which celebrates the day in 1974 that Richard Nixon signed the Emergency Highway Energy Conservation Act, which lowered the national speed limit to 55 miles an hour in order to reduce accidents and save American lives. Except that ain't true. The real reason for the 55 mile an hour speed limit is cause on October 19, 1973, OPEC, the Middle Eastern Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries all agreed to stop selling oil to the U.S. because the U.S. supported Israel in the Yom Kippur War to the tune of two and a quarter billion dollars. Except that ain't true either. I mean, it was probably part of it, but the real reason is in 1971, Nixon took the U.S. dollar off the gold standard and made it a fiat currency, meaning a dollar was worth a dollar just because Nixon said it was. But it also meant foreign countries, whose cash reserves are always dollar-heavy, could no longer cash in their dollars for gold. So the value of the dollar plummeted, and the price of gold skyrocketed, which gutted the OPEC countries, because oil is always priced against dollars per barrel, what they call the petrodollar. So to punish Nixon, OPEC cut off our oil supply. And that's bad, because everything you've ever seen contains, was manufactured with, was lubricated by, or was drove to your house using oil products. Between that and the worthless dollar, we were all going bankrupt. Not fast enough though, apparently. So Nixon introduced wage and price controls and the Fed started jerking around the money supply and that pretty much did it. Of course, the news media blamed it all on Israel instead of the B system, like usual. So there's that. But wait, Bible y'all, Paul. You're saying government and media wasn't being straight with us? Oh, dude, you don't even know the half of it. Wait till I tell you about 14 days to slow the spread. Our reading for today is Genesis 3, 1 through 4, 26, Matthew 2, 13 through 3, 6, Psalm 2, 1 through 12, and Proverbs 1, 7 through 9. So if y'all are ready, you know, OPEC lifted that embargo after six months, but we still had gas lines into the 80s. You reckon it's cause the beast system wanted it that way? Nah, that's crazy talk. But before we get to the reading, let's me and the squad do a review of yesterday's study. Okay, so yesterday, on January 1st, we started the Bible. We read Genesis 1-1 through 2:25 in the Old Testament. So Genesis, the foundation, probably written between 1440 and 1400 BC by Moses during the wilderness wanderings. But they can't know that for sure, but I say Moses. And everything that is in the Bible has its start in Genesis, and it all ends in Revelation up to and including death, day and night, and the seas. And there's so much going on here. A Brazilian words have been written just on chapter one. And there's no way we're going to do this justice in like five or ten minutes of review. I'd love to sit and discuss this for hours and pick it apart and order pizza, but I can't. I got too much to do. Besides, in First Timothy, Paul, not me, the other Paul, makes a comment about not getting mired down in what he calls endless genealogies. And I think what he's getting at is it does you no good to argue over whether Moses meant happy or glad if you never put this stuff into practice. God has given us all this info so we'll love him, not so we'll go off and start religions. He hates that, actually. But anyway, in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So here's your first opportunity to take something as a matter of faith, because I wasn't there, so I got to take somebody's word for it. Either God created the universe or somebody else did. 
Because the evidence suggests the universe was created. Because it's here. And whatever you believe about who did it is a matter of faith. Verse 2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And some say that should be translated, but the earth became without form and void. And this leads to something called the gap theory, which Jesus himself never heard of because it was invented by this guy Thomas Chalmers in 1814, mostly because of all these discoveries that make the earth look really old. And rather than try to figure out the truth, he just concocted a way to make it all fit. He said between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, there was a gap of like a bazillion years that had an ancient race of people in it and cavemen and dinosaurs and stuff. And it turns out he didn't have to do all that because all the same evidence the old earth types use to support their positions is the same evidence the young earthers use to support theirs. It's a matter of interpretation. Like, for example, there's stars that are a zillion light years away and if the universe wasn't a zillion years old, we wouldn't be able to see them. And that's true, if the speed of light is really a constant, which this Australian guy named Barry Setterfield proved it ain't. It's slowing down. And it might have been like a million times faster back before Abraham. And that would mean the light from distant stars got here way sooner. And it'd also mess up how we experience time, which might account for some of the old ages back then. And it'd speed up radioactive decay, which would throw modern radiometric dating all out of whack and make stuff look older than it is. But don't wander too far down that rabbit trail or you'll risk losing sight of what's really important, like God, and the whole reason he gave us this book in the first place, which I seem to have done right here. <laughs> anyway, verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. See, light, light's important. It's the first thing God says in the Bible. And God said the light was good and divided it from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. So is that a literal 24-hour day or just a symbolic period of disorder to order? I don't know, man. Is either one of those really a deal breaker for you? Maybe it's just that now that we got light and dark, we can have days. So we got a day. Half the time when the Jews talk about days, they don't necessarily mean whole days anyway. Anyway, verse 6, God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And I maintain that the firmament is empty space, the vacuum, the very minimum of things that can have physical properties and still be things. And the waters are probably something along the lines of spirit or energy, or however generalized matter exists in the multidimensional universe. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And that's probably actual waters here, because now we have form. Verse 11, God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And that's day three. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And that's stars and planets and such, to tell us when to plant and harvest and what have you. And I'm struck that we didn't even need to do any of that until after the fall. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Verse 16, Sun and moon and stars to give light upon the earth. In day 4. And then on day 5, God creates fish and birds and every living creature that moveth from out of the waters. So birds came from the waters. That's interesting. Day six, the earth brings forth all its creatures, cattle and bugs and such. 
And I guess the differentiation was things that have to walk on land and things that don't, like fish and birds. And while we're still on day six, he makes a man and puts him in charge of the whole universe. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So does that mean we look like God? I mean, maybe we do look like Jesus. Or does that mean we're sentient moral agents like God? Maybe. Or does that mean we are God's imagers on the earth, representing him? I don't know. I'm more interested in how it says male and female created he them. Because so far, it's not a them, it's a him, and not even a her. Unless the first him was somehow both him and her. Or there were more people already. But I doubt both of those things. What I think is, we have no capacity to understand what was happening. And God's giving us enough information to form some kind of basic idea. But it's entirely possible Adam and Eve didn't even live in three dimensions like we do. And pre-fall, they were like total spirit beings. They might have been material, but also so much more. So don't get so trapped in the material that you forget the spiritual and miraculous. And don't get so trapped in the miraculous that you forget how God works with the material. To him, it's all one big thing. Anyway, chapter 2, God's finished and he takes a break on day 7. Is it because he was tired? No, probably not. Nope. It's because he was finished. But God likes for the number 7 to represent completion. So he does stuff in 7s a lot. 6 is the number for man. So that's why Adam's created on day 6. But in verse 5, for some reason, the environmental conditions were such that it never rained. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And verse 7, the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. But wait, didn't he just do that already in the last chapter? No, this is a little recap. This is a little more detail of the intro that was chapter 1. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All these food plants, they already existed because they got created on day three or whatever it was. This is just God setting up a home for Adam. And we'll come back to the trees of life and knowledge later. And four rivers flowed out of Eden to the rest of the earth, I guess. But don't worry about it. All of these went through drastic changes at the fall and then were totally destroyed in the flood. So don't go looking for them. But verse 15 God's like, here, this is your yard to take care of. But see this one tree? Don't eat that. And Adam's like, no problem. So verse 18, God says, okay, I got this all set up and it's perfect. I guess it's time to get the real ball rolling. And he sits Adam down and brings forth every living creature that there is right before him. And Adam names every one of them. And God's like, you notice anything, Adam? And he says, yeah, I'm the only one of me there is. And that's why I named that one over there a gorilla and not Adam part two. (laughs) and God says right so take a little nap and we'll fix that (laughs) and verse 22 says he took a rib from Adam and made a woman out of it but Bible y'all Paul that's a weird thing to do why not just make a woman from scratch well don't know but you're going to find out that God does a lot of really weird things usually to symbolize other stuff later on and what I've got pictured is more of a separating of one being into two splitting traits and characteristics between them. Adam was a pre-fall being, remember. But I'm probably wrong about all that. But that's as far as we read. And don't worry, it'll get faster as we go. Okay, Genesis. The history of creation. And this is our history. We see that God is a God of order. He brings it. 
Our world is interactive by design. God wants us to know things. He wants us to be engaged to find him and his creation. I mean, the sky speaks to us in signs, seasons, and days. The garden was self-watering, a mist provided by God. Adam named the animals and they weren't for food. The order is what leads us to him and keeps us close. In Genesis 1, 26-28, God blesses mankind with this. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, not just the garden. Subdue the earth, not just the garden, and have dominion over the livestock in the sea and on land. God chose blessing for us from the very beginning. So we have earth, Garden of Eden, two named trees at the center of the garden, and man to keep it. Adam and Eve tend to both trees. They just can't eat from one. And then we have Genesis 2.15. Man was given authority and responsibility to maintain the order God put in place. Man's dominion wasn't limited to the garden. It just started there. The warning comes next. To eat freely while you work from all the trees except one. Don't eat from one tree. They had to tend to it like the other trees. Just not eat any fruit of it. The fruit from that tree will kill you. Because good and evil cannot and will not be eternal. God put a timer on that mess. And then in the New Testament, we read Matthew 1.1 through 2.12. And that's the gospel according to Matthew. And gospel means good news or a joyful message. And Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. He knew Jesus personally. And his gospel is the longest of the four. And some scholars think it was the first one written. And before Matthew became a disciple of Christ, he was a tax collector in the town of Capernaum. And tax collectors were hated by the Jews because the rule was whatever they could collect over and above what they were supposed to, they got to keep. So they were thieves. But Jesus was like that. He often hung out with the rejects that decent people wouldn't let in their yards. Unless, of course, they were mowing it. And hey, that's lucky for me. (laughs) Yep. Anyway, Matthew starts his book out with Abraham and traces the family line all the way to Jesus. And he points out that the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. And remember when I said a minute ago that God liked to do things in sevens? Well, here you go. Mm. Then Matthew talks about the circumstances of Jesus' birth, but doesn't give as much detail as some of the other Gospels. He glosses over Mary being visited by the angel Gabriel, who told her she was going to get pregnant by the Holy Ghost before she actually married her fiancé, Joseph. But Joseph hears about her getting pregnant, and he's like, Wedding's off, cheater. (laughs) But he still loves her, and he don't want to shame her publicly. And he's planning just to send her away. But while he's thinking about that, an angel comes to him in a dream and says, Joe, you're messing up. She ain't cheating. That's the Messiah in there, and this is all prophecy. And that Messiah is going to need a legal daddy because of something I'm going to explain later. So Joe's like, cool, I'm down. So in chapter 2, Jesus gets born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king. And he's more of a Roman puppet than a king, but whatever. And Herod neither knows nor cares what Joseph and Mary are up to back at their shack. Till one day, these guys show up from the east. And that's bad, because to the east was Persia, where the prophet Daniel lived a long time ago, and which was not part of the Roman Empire. And usually them nativity scenes that you get at Walmart have three of them wise men there. But it was probably more like 300. Because high-ranking officials like that don't walk 700 miles from Persia to the Mediterranean without security and food and water and kitchen staff 
and maybe even a concubine or two. And there's way more to this story that Matthew just don't care to bring up, but we'll get to it as we read the other Gospels, so just sit tight. For now, these guys are like, hey Herod, how come you got the new king of the Jews in your jurisdiction and ain't told nobody? We had to follow that weird star looking thing up there the whole way here. So where he at? We want to go worship him. And Herod's like, something ain't right about this. Caesar's the king of the Jews, but Herod's smart enough to shine him on. He's like, well, this is the first I heard of it, fellas. Why don't y'all go find him and then come get me and I'll go worship him too. So they track him down to Bethlehem, which wasn't hard because they just followed that star thing some more. And Matthew points out that that's all prophecy too. So anyway, by verse 11, they track him down. And when they were coming to the house and not the barn with the manger in it, like in all the nativity scenes you get at Walmart, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, not a baby, probably about two years old by now. And they fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And these guys, they knew who Jesus was, probably because Daniel told them 400 years ago. And they brought gold for his kingship, frankincense for his priesthood, because priests burned incense, and myrrh for his embalming, because he was going to give his life one day. And rather than go back to Herod to dime Jesus out, God warned him in a dream to do anything but that. So they snuck out the other side of Israel instead. And that's as far as we read yesterday. Genealogies get more interesting the more we read the Bible and get to know the players. Matthew gives us the bloodline of Jesus, and we could say that we could track our bloodline from the cross when we were born again, and we can cancel those old bloodline curses. Well, we see Joseph mixed faith with his knowledge of the virgin birth after the dream and immediately took Mary as his wife. He did not hesitate when confronted with the truth. And then in Psalms, we read Psalm 1, 1 through 6. And Psalms are really great. I like Psalms. They're songs, and they're meant to be sung to music. And you know y'all's worship band at church? Same deal. Most of them are about praising God. If you're having trouble praying, pick one and go from there. And if you can't sleep, play the Psalms on audio on like YouTube or something. Most of them were written by King David, and he probably wrote this one, but a lot of folks got in on writing Psalms. And this first one is pretty straightforward. The theme is that the study of the Word of God is the foundation of a meaningful, prosperous life. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And if you study on the Word of God, you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, giving fruit forever. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. And chaff is like the shells and hulls of wheat. And the way they separate it out is to use these baskets to throw it into the wind, and the heavier seed falls back into the basket and the chaff blows away. Then they sweep it up and burn it. But that'll be important later. And verse 6 just kind of sums it up. It says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish, is kind of the big idea. So, following ungodly counsel will put us in bad company to corrupt good morals. If we don't take delight in the law, the order of God, and meditate on what pleases Him, we're at risk of being driven by anything, everything other than God. But walking in godly counsel perpetuates righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then in Proverbs, we read Proverbs 1, 1 through 6. And Proverbs is a book of wisdom written by King Solomon, who was David's son. And he had a rep for being pretty smart. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of clever stuff in Proverbs. And these first six verses are just an intro telling what the plan is here. 
says the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. Subtlety to the simple. I love that. He's basically saying, don't be stupid. And he says that a lot in Proverbs, (laughs) as if you can choose not to be stupid, which it turns out you can. Yeah. And that's basically it. He says, listen to me because I know what I'm talking about, which means that almost no one ever listened to him ever. But here we are. And it's hard to stop at verse six, but I am. And here's verse six. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. Dark sayings, not evil dark, but dark like seeing through a window at night. You cannot see the details like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. We don't have all the details now. We only see shapes and sh- uh, shadows. But that's the end of our review of yesterday's study. Thanks for your help, babe. Our reading in the Old Testament for January 2nd is Genesis 3, 1 through 4, 26. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam, and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee, that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman who thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins, and clothe them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. 
And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Chapter 4 And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived, and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived, and bare Enoch. And he builded a city, and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad. And Irad begat Mahujael, and Mahujael begat Methuselah, and Methuselah begat Lamech, and Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah, and Ada bare Jabal. He was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle, and his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ, and Zillah, she also bare Tubalcain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubalcain was Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed, instead of Abel whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Our reading in the New Testament for January 2nd is Matthew 2.13-3.6. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. 
Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel. For they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose, and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Chapter 3 In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. And our reading in Psalms for January 2nd is Psalm 2, 1-12. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. And our reading in Proverbs for January 2nd is Proverbs 1, 7-9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. Okay, that'll do it for the second. Okay, y'all, let's do our 30-second meditation. Today's prayer is about Psalm 118.24, which says, This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So hit the 30-second back button on your podcast player a few times, and meditate with me for a little while on having joy in the face of all adversity, because prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. So if you're ready, let's go. Father God, every day we wake up with breath in our lungs is another gift from you, and it's our duty to rejoice and be glad in it, for it's one more chance to do your will. We know that all things work together for the good of them that love you. Not that all things are good, some are downright awful, but for those that walk with you, Even our difficulties have a holy purpose. And for that, we know we can be joyful. Help us to always remember that, Father, 
In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's all the Bible yalling I got for you tonight. Thank you, Father, for letting us study your word and for the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. Please bless and keep everybody that's listening and let this podcast be helpful to them. Amen. You can find Bible Y'all on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google, CastBox, and Facebook. If you like what we're doing and you want to support it, what I really need is for y'all to pray for me and Bible Y'all Squall and all our friends and family. If you got any prayer requests, email them to me at BibleYallPodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, just go on out and try to make the world a better place. And if you can't make things any better, just try not to make them any worse. Thanks, everybody, and God bless y'all. Hey, Bible, y'all. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So, some nice landscaping, I guess. Maybe a water feature. Or a gazing ball. Not a gazing ball. Yeah, those are tacky.